is Kristen Hedgecock. And I'm Ash Matson. You're listening to Apta Sophia, which means useful wisdom in the pursuit of biblical womanhood. Welcome to Apta Sophia. My name is Ash Matson. I'm here with my beautiful co host, Kristen Hedgecock. Hello. Hello. And we are doing our second episode on the topic of joy. Mm-hmm. This, this episode, yeah, part two, this episode, we're diving into um, what it looks like to foster a uh, Joy in your household, in your parenting, in your marriage, and also in the local church. But before we get into the meat of the episode, we're diving into the most important part of every episode, and that is our would you rather question. So Kristen, would you rather have a unibrow that you can't ever fix or no eyebrows at all? Oh my gosh. I feel like I have the second problem. And how Um, would you deal with either one of those? Uh, okay, so I think I would rather have no eyebrows because I can always like tattoo some on or something, you know, or paint them on. I don't know. I could make paint? it work. Because that's what the kids are doing these yes, days. They are painting. painting them on. Yeah. Um, something. I would, I would, there, there are workarounds. Um, whereas the unibrow that I couldn't fix, well, then I can't fix it. Like, It'd right. be different if I could fix it because you, you would can. have to it's rock it. Wha- yeah, you, have you just it. have to be a Muppet. You just own it. You know, like what Muppet? Ha- do all the Muppets have unibrows? It's like a Frida Kahlo. Just we have. We're in like a crunchy, like back to nature type. Oh, I don't stage like stage in femininity where women are like, let your leg hair grow, and like bushes under your arms, and yeah, and so it's like this is beauty. Right, and Maybe the eyebrows are that all, person. like, up here on their forehead, like, yeah. brushed that way. Yeah, well, there's something really pretty about big, like, neatly brushed eyebrows. But, like— But there should be a defined end to that. Yes, that's <laughs> what I'm talking about, is, yeah. like, there is no defined—they're, like, brushed, so you have, like, spiky yeah. eyebrows on the—or spike spike. Or I don't know what they're called. They're like it looks like you spike them, right? Yeah, they gel them and then yes, they push and them. then they push them up, right? Mm-hmm. That looks yeah. weird. I'm sorry. Don't do that. My kids are gonna have a time of it because they all have really distinct eyebrows, and I can already see as they're getting older, they're filling in, and I'm like, oh man, dude, there's gonna be an awkward kids. phase where you have big old eyebrows. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm not gonna come in with some tweezers right now. We're going to yeah. have to wait until they're much older. And when, and when they ask me, and then I'll be like, oh, really? You although, think we should do something? Are you although sure? Although if I had a child, a young child that had a legit, you know, like a thick unibrow, I'd be like, you're beyond, you're, you're just beyond your years. Come over here. Let me, let me help you. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I yeah. probably would. Like, like. I mean, there are some people that have, like, kids young, just thick, 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 thick unibrows. Yeah. Well, you know, I heard also that you can shave your face and it doesn't grow back thicker. Yes. It's called, what is it called? Is it called microplaning? Is that what it's called? Yes. Microplaning. Okay, I learned this from our friends. Well, she's going to be your friend. My friend Gabby's podcast young and wifed up oh yeah she actually won our apta mug yes because she her uh what did we ask so we asked everybody to let us know oh i forgot um, to send the video 
Oh, yes. I'll make a video yeah. and I'll post it. You have to post it on the page, though, for yeah, everybody. Yeah, I will. See. I'll post it Are on the page. Are you serious? I love you so much for doing that. I'm secure. Yeah. I've been married for 16 years. It was like something that you've <laughs> been, it was the question was like, name something that you could, that you're really good at or that you could be really good at that right. nobody would care about. Right. And hers was turning her eyelids inside out. Yeah. And she posted a video, too. Of yeah. her doing it. It was yeah. glorious. So yeah, she won an Aptomug. But they did a whole episode on uh, dealing with hair. Yeah. And microplaning your face. I always thought that like if you did that, it would grow back. So I was like, well, you know, I'm going to get a beard. I don't want a beard. <laughs> so, but you could do that to your eyebrows. Yes. And, and dudes, like when guys go to barbershops, they do that. They like, they shape their eyebrows with the little, um, what's it called? I don't know. I heard this from the episode too. It's like called a tinkle brush or twinkle brush. Some like a or a, it's a tiny little razor. Okay. That you that you use just for your face to shape your eyebrows. Interesting. Really. So you don't have to wax and you don't have to pluck, but okay. you do have to be on that because your right. hair is going to grow back faster. Right. Or you don't want to have like five o'clock eyebrow shadow. <laughs> 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 That's not a good look. Oh my god. <laughs> what? Oh. Christian. We're like yeah, five o'clock. Your up. husband kisses you, and he's like, "Ow!" Yeah, <laughs> I don't like the way your stubble feels on my forehead. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh my goodness! Yeah, that's so. So funny. no Frida Kahlo. You know what's funny is like I was doing my eyebrows earlier today, and this eyebrow literally stops here. It just doesn't grow past here. Really? I don't know what has it always I didn't, been like that. Maybe not so bad when I was a kid. Okay. But I haven't ever overplucked my eyebrows. My eyebrows have always been fairly thick. So I never did like the the same width pencil thin oh, arch. Dude, that was I never me did in the that. 90s. Or the like sperm eyebrow. Yeah. <laughs> I never did that. Yeah. Uh, I've always had really thick eyebrows. But yeah, this one stops right here. Oh weird. And also, why do my eyebrows grow so much faster than the hair on my head? I don't know. Because they're like legit like birdman. Because I feel like old ladies aren't really known for their big eyebrows, but old men are. So, yeah. like, I'm going to say Birdman eyebrows. Yeah. I don't know how it happens. Like, yeah. I have to trim them, like, more than I trim my hair. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have to brush them up and trim because it just, really? they get so, they're so much longer than my, and my hair, it takes me forever to grow my hair out. Really? Huh. Yeah. Learning lots. This is, like, triggering me because I have a lot of eyebrow issues. <laughs> Your eyebrows always look good. Yeah. And well, it depends. I did have a phase. And it's funny because I was at Trinitas. I did have a phase where I was really into spending like probably an hour doing my eyebrows. And that was my biggest mistake. Because if you spend an hour doing your eyebrows, your eyebrows are getting too big. (laughs) (laughs) So, and I was on the music team. And I would like, I remember go, like I would do my eyebrows in the middle of the day too. So like yeah. they, I feel like they got the full force of it. Cause I would only do it when I was going to go do something. Yeah. I had like ICP, like insane. I don't know if you guys, this is probably a reference that's lost on you. Please don't look this up. Like maybe go look up a picture if you want to, but don't look up their music. Cause it's horribly raunchy. But there was this group called Insane Clown Posse. And they like had, they have like clown makeup. Okay. And I looked like. A member. You never looked like a clown. Big, big, big eyebrows. I see pictures of myself from that time period. And what's oh, funny is okay. I was not a teenager. I was like 29. <laughs> it was not too long ago. It was not too long ago. It was like one of those, like, I just had a baby and I was having like a mom. Yeah. I could be young. 
like yeah. that. Or like, yeah, it's like when you feel yeah. so cruddy because yeah. your body's all stretched out and sore. Uh-huh. And so you're like, I'm going to like over um, yeah. compensate with something totally unrelated. Like uh-huh. I would cut, like I cut my hair off or, mm-hmm. or had just m- huge chola eyebrows for a long time. <laughs> All right. But I don't remember your eyebrows being big. I will find it. I'm going to find a picture for you yeah, while we're talking here. Too. We'll have to post a picture of my eyebrows. Yes. Yeah, it's good. I'm not on Facebook anymore. Okay, send it to back. me and I'll post it. Yeah. So, good to know. We both would choose not the unibrow. Not the I'll unibrow. I'll just say that. I don't think I could pull that off. No. Eyebrows are totally change your face. They do. They, like, help contour. It's so important. Yeah. I remember, okay, so I also used to be in Mary Kay, so don't don't ever do this. I don't recommend it. Did I not tell you that? No, oh, but girl, I used I got to shop so- Mary Kay all the time, like high school through college. Actually, yeah. my favorite lipstick is from there, the Whipped they Berries. Have really, they have a really good Which product. they don't make anymore, but my Mary Kay lady who mm-hmm. I work with, she like bought them all up just for me because she knew they were discontinuing that color, and I yeah. ordered them. Yeah. I know a lot of really wonderful Mary Kay consultants. And what's funny is I am way more into makeup now than I was when I was a consultant. Uh And I would spend way more on makeup now than I ever would when I was a consultant. Oh, interesting. I don't know how, when I, it's because I was a suck, I got suckered in, you know, like I went to a party. Yeah. And then I was like, I could do this as a business, even though I'm not about this life. Right. (laughs) I was washing my face with a bar of soap. No joke. I still do. Yeah. I use, oh gosh, pro tip. Okay, we're going off yeah. on in the weeds on this episode. Um, baby baby wash yeah. for your face. Yeah. I use it in the shower yeah. as, my, as my face wash. And then if you think you do something weird, but you're like, this is a hack, Google it. So many people use it. Like yeah. famous makeup artists yeah. and celebrities use like $2 baby wash for their, for their uh, facial cleanser. And I was like, this works so good. My skin's so soft. It takes my makeup off. It's not irritating. Mm-hmm. And then I looked it up and it does it. Yeah. But before that, bar of soap for real. Because nothing will take your, like, Irish spring. That'll suck that thing right off your face. Right. <laughs> you will be able to, like, run your finger down your cheek, yeah. though, and it'll go. <laughs> yeah. No, so I, so one of my jobs before I became a nurse, I was mm-hmm. a nursing assistant in a nursing home, which I referenced last episode and there was this lady there um her name is Ruth and she was like almost a what do they call those people not centurions because those are Roman okay (laughs) definitely not that centennials okay anyway you know people who are a hundred like a fancy okay centennial sounds like a fancy party you go to yeah maybe that's what that anyway people who are a hundred so she was that. Mm-hmm. She was like 101 or 102. But she had like the most beautiful skin. Like she looked like she was like a really young 70, just 30 years. I'm like, you look so good. You look like you're 70. I'm like what's your, what, what did you use? And I'm sure some of it was genetics. But she was like, I used Dove face bar soap and I drank a glass of wine every night. That was her beauty trip. It's always See, that's so, genetics right there. Yeah, but I'm like, well, if it worked for her. So 
to this day, I still wash my face with, and they, my, it's not drying for me anyway, because they have moisturizer in it. Yeah, you get used to the stinging eyes. Yeah, you do. You just learn. It's not so bad. It's fine. It's fine. It's not so bad. Um, you have to rinse. You have to rinse long enough, and then sometimes you open your eyes at the wrong point. And you're like, you're not like, long enough. Not long enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, but when I okay. was in Mary Kay, yeah, I would me. do the rest of my face up, and they would be like, "Hey, you should think." about getting an eyebrow pencil (laughs) and I I would look in the mirror at that point yeah because I never really properly done my eyebrows and I was like my eyebrows look fine yeah okay and now I'm that person where if I see somebody I'll be like I'll be talking to you don't feel judged or anything but if if (laughs) if you especially if you have really light eyebrows where I can't see that you have eyebrows I'm like I just want to help you (laughs) I want to help because it makes such a difference. Sometimes I'll just do half my face so I can yeah. do it and then be like, Ryan, look. Yeah. Different person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Eyebrow. I did. I just started doing my eyebrows like a couple years ago. I yeah. never used to do them before. Yeah. Life changing. Yeah. Do your eyebrows, dudes, your if eyebrows. you haven't done them. Yeah. And I'm also figuring out how to do them so that they're not just one big block. Yeah. I'm getting there. I'm not perfect, but yeah. it's important. So. We would both choose, obviously, penciled in eyebrows. Yeah. Uh, yeah please. A lot about eyebrows. Yeah, well. it's important. When I saw this question, I was like, I did it on the generator because yeah. it's pretty. It's a pretty pro generator. It gives us good. Would you rather's that aren't weird or inappropriate? Um, but I was a little excited when this came up. I was yeah. like, because I was literally just doing my eyebrows, thinking I need to tell Kristen about how my hair doesn't grow right here, and now I got an opportunity. <laughs> so. Just needed to share that with somebody. So if you want to weigh in, we would love to know. If you were going to rock a unibrow too, like, please, please, especially you, I want to know. Not because I want to judge you. I just want to know, like, you know. How does that go? How does that work? How does that work? I want to see, like, what's your style? Because I think some women could pull it off, depending on how thick it was. Maybe it's just, like, really cute. (laughs) Maybe it's just, maybe it's just a little fringe on the inside. And, like, still thick, divine, defined, like, real brows. Sure. Maybe. I don't know. You'd have to wear, like, a flower crown to pull that off, I feel like. Yeah. Okay. All right, good. Um, go to Facebook or Instagram and weigh in. And then the question for our next episode is going to be, drum roll. Would you rather always have a shopping cart with one wheel that doesn't work right? Mm. Or an uneven table leg at every restaurant where you eat. Mm. All right, so pin in that. Think on it. All right, so this episode, we are talking about joy again. In our last episode, we really went through biblically defining what joy is, um, what is it rooted in, and when are we supposed to be joyful, what are some practical ways that we can pursue joy in our individual lives. And now we're carrying all of those principles over into this episode where we're going to talk about what that looks like in pursuing joy in our home and in our marriages, in our um, parenting, and in the church. So um, mm-hmm. why don't we start, since just in case nobody listened in on our last episode, let's just do like a real quick, what is joy and what is it rooted in? Um, go back and listen to episode one. Or, but no, beyond no, that, Kristen. No, um, yeah. So our 
I'll go back. Hold on. Let me look at my notes because I will redefine, not redefine, but I will restate what the definition of joy is. What is joy? It is not an emotion. It's a state of mind, not dependent on our circumstances or ourselves, but dependent on the omnipotent source where we can draw strength and joy from. Okay. So basically our joy we can draw from our source is rooted in Christ. Yeah. And when we say rooted in Christ, when we say rooted in God, we're talking about, um, you know, rejoicing over our salvation, all of these truths right. that transcend our immediate circumstances. So um, believing his promises, uh, giving thanks for the things that he's given us, um, meditating on his goodness, who he is as a person, all the good that he's worked in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um meditating on what he's promised us that will come in glory at the end of of human history, um, all of Christ's work accomplished for us on the cross, all of those things. That's what our, our focus is, and that's where we derive our joy, is having this perspective in everything. So <clears throat> with that said, we're going to jump into um, knowing what our source of joy is, what are some practical ways that we can obediently bring joy into our home and our life? Um, and why would those things bring us joy? So um, one thing I thought would be important to say, like right out of the gate, because we're going to be talking about, um, you know, trying to bring joy to others, is that nothing that we do can bring someone joy. So there's no combination mm-hmm. of works that we could do that would bring someone joy, because joy is rooted in Christ. It's rooted in God, who he is, what he's done, what he's doing. So Everything that we do must be pointing other people to Christ mm-hmm. in order for them to have joy. Right. Um, I think that's just a really good foundational thing to say because when, whenever we get into the practical, we, we never want to lose sight of the fact that this is all by the Spirit and it's all by directing people back to the source of joy. Right. Right, yeah, we are not, you know, conmering people in circumstances and looking at <laughs> looking at things and being like, you do not spark joy and dismissing them and getting rid of them, right? We are pointing people back to Christ and um, our households back to Christ and being like, uh, if you want joy, which you should, um, you should be marked as a joyous person slash people um, slash household, et cetera then this is the way, walk in it, right? Um, yeah, so one of the, what do you want to talk about first? We want to talk about husbands. <clears throat> no, wait, I have more. I think it was good that you wanted to start with the overarching yes, theme of I was service. like, no, wait, before that, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so one of, the, one of the overarching themes that I, in doing and preparing for this episode or these episodes was that um, the overarching theme is service. Um, Service in the Lord can bring countless joy, whether that's service to our church, whether that's service to other women, to our friends, to our husband. Um, And then we do that by drawing, uh, drawing from Christ to, to strengthen um, people and um, and yeah, we we're gonna edit that part out. So right. yeah, so the overarching uh, theme that I found um, just prominent through all the things uh, when it talks about you know whether that's uh, 
you know, no matter where we are to find joy, is that uh, it is rooted in Christ through service, whether that's service through our church, whether that's service to our husband, whether that's service to our kids, um, mm. all of that. And so um, I think that's important to remember as we talk about these three areas um, in our families and in our church family is that um, I think service is key and can really bring um, countless joy um, in, in each of those areas. Right. Yeah. I think dying to yourself fundamentally is essential for pursuing joy um, mm-hmm. because doing the opposite and navel-gazing or, um, you know, focusing on what you deserve, what you're not getting, what you should have, what what you need, what you want. Right. Of course, you need to acknowledge, I need this, it's essential, like God said, all those things important, but um, to, to obsess over it and make that the focus of your life, that right. is misery. Right. That's misery. Um, it leaves you bitter and disappointed and discontent, and it's just this inward collapsing in on yourself. Right. And yeah. so service <clears throat> to other people brings joy in that we are rightly aligning ourselves with the purpose that God has for our own lives. All through the New Testament, we are told to be zealous for good works, mm-hmm. to serve other people, to consider other people as, you know, with higher esteem than our, not higher esteem, of more as more significant than ourselves. Right. Um, and all of that is for our joy um, and also for theirs. Right. It points them to God and it points us to God. Um, so that is a really good foundational thing that is woven into all of these different relationships we're going to talk about. And foundationally, when God tells us we need to die to ourselves, it is not in order to keep us from some good thing that we should be doing by focusing on ourselves. It is to free us from that because it's better for us to be freed from it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's really great. Um, you know, as I shared in the last episode, um, just, you know, kind of echoing what you were just saying is that, yes, um, we need to do everything. Our service should be out of, um, you know, do nothing out of selfish ambition, right? Or vain conceit. Um, and so, you know, just bearing that in mind as we're serving, uh, that we are also not doing things um, grumbling or complaining, because um, all those things rob whatever it is that you're doing, mm-hmm. joy. Like you can still, to your point, um, be doing these things, could be serving, but if you're doing it grumpily or, you know, with complaint or whatever, then you are that no matter what you're doing, even if you say it's, you know, you're serving the Lord, but you're doing it grumpily, it is robbing that act of service of, of joy and in the intent that it's, you know, supposed to be. Um, yeah, so just be careful. Mm-hmm. Be careful that you aren't doing that. Yeah. Um, one topic that we wanted to bring joy in is joy in our marriages. Unless you had anything else to say about No, that's good. Yeah. <clears throat> I um, think that's a, a good starting point. Yeah. So our last episode, we talked about how we ourselves can practice the discipline in joy because it is very hard to bring joy into something when you yourself are kind of the, you know, if you are struggling and have not developed that habit, it is really hard to bring that into um, other areas of your life. So, um, but once you have that discipline down, 
um, it is easier to bring it into um, different areas. So one being uh, into your marriage. You had a really, really good, um, I think I want you to start this one off, is how can you bring joy into your marriage? Yeah, so I just have a few, and I'm sure there there are more, but a few mm-hmm. things that come to mind um, initially for me is I think this is a good way to bring to pursue joy um, individually and then also help your husband pursue joy is to remember that your husband is a shadow of Christ and not a substitute for Christ. I think it's easy for us to read that our husbands are to love us as Christ loves the church, Mm -hmm. to lay his life down for us as Christ laid his life down for the church, uh, to love us as his own flesh, and to put the pressure on him um, in our own minds and also in our own relationship with him to be Christ to us. And so it is infinitely more devastating when our husbands fail to to, you know, hit the mark or to meet that expectation. Um, And it can just create this really unhealthy cycle um, in your marriage and this unhealthy tension between you and your spouse. Um, It can create unhealthy thought patterns in regards to the way that you're viewing your spouse. So your husband's obedience to the law and to this requirement to love you as Christ loves the church shouldn't be pointing you towards greater affection for your husband. Ultimately, of course it will, but it should be pointing you to what that is shadowing, which is this Mm -hmm. greater reality of what Christ is. Christ is ultimately your, you know, absolute leader, your ultimate leader. Um, Christ is your protector. Christ is your provider. Christ is the one who laid his life down for you in Mm -hmm. ways that your husband never can. So in all the ways that your husband is obedient, be sure that those things are pointing you towards rejoicing and joy in the Lord in, um, in really seeing that for what it is. It's a shadow of something grander. And beyond that, when your husband fails, when your husband sins against you, when he doesn't lead you the way that he should, when he doesn't protect you, when um, he doesn't provide for you, whatever that looks like, that also should be driving you to Christ because his failure shows you, okay, my husband's a man and he's sinful and he's failed, but Christ never will. Mm-hmm. So instead of getting wrapped up into, I deserve this from my husband, I deserve that from my husband, which is all true, not because of the merit in you, but because that's what God's called him to. Like, you know, that's sure. what you should receive from him. But beyond that, if your husband does not provide, you can trust that Christ will. That's not just some pie in the sky, like, idea that we like to ruminate on. It's a reality. Christ will provide for you. Practically, spiritually, if your husband doesn't lead you, practically, spiritually, Christ does. Absolutely. If your husband doesn't protect you, Christ does. So all of that is making sure that your husband is rightly pointing you back to Christ with his behavior either way. And also making sure that you are reminding your husband that, you know, although he is pursuing this ideal, in um, loving you as Christ loves the church, where he falls short, Christ doesn't. Um, The burden of that is not ultimately on his shoulders and praise the Lord. So taking that off of him and allowing him to see that you've taken that off of him, that you're not, you know, um, expecting from him something that he can't give as a fallen man is freeing to him and also pointing him to Christ in both situations, 
you know, um, making sure that his eyes are on the Lord when he fails and also when he is obedient. Um, so that was my, my first one. Do you have anything to say on that one? Um, no, I think that is, yeah, no, that's really good. I mean, I would also say, like, I think going back to the service thing of serving your husband and just asking him, because it really is what, what can bring one husband joy cannot bring another husband joy, but really asking your husband, hey, how can I serve you and how can I help you? And then doing that, you know, without complaint and doing that joyfully can bring in joy into your marriage. And, um, you know, yeah, just asking what that looks like and just being ready and, and, and willing to, to do that. And, you know, he can bring joy into your marriage um, by you telling him things that, you know, um, brings you joy. Like, it brings me joy when my husband comes home from work and brings me a latte. And so he does so several times throughout the week. That not only makes me feel happy, um, but it also, um, it um, lets me know that, you know, I am loved. And that is something that uh, helps bring joy into our marriage is his, you know, I know that he has to stop off at the, at Starbucks and take time out of his way and be sacrificial, but he does it happily and, and without complaining. And that's just, you know, one act of service that he, um, you know, that he can do, you know, for me and, um, you know, and, and, and I for him in that. So, yeah, just um, making your marriage, um, well, I'll say this. One of the best advice, one of the best, um, yeah, advice that I got as a newly married uh, wife and as a couple, because it was to both of us, this wisdom, was that to learn how to outserve your spouse. And so... Um, because obviously, if you are constantly thinking about ways to serve your husband, and your husband is constantly thinking about ways how to serve you, you kind of have this like, almost like this healthy competition going. Mm -hmm. And just your marriage can be just characterized by just this joyful service to each other. <clears throat> and, you know, what a blessing that that can be, that you are um, to each other in in that godly, like joyful service. And I just think that that's such a, it's a piece of advice that I have passed on because I have found that, yeah, in when you don't think about, well, what can he do for me? But like, what can I do for him? Um, is just the best life-giving advice that I think anybody can take into a marriage. And I find so many newlyweds um, that I, you know, talk to and, and that type of thing. Um, they kind of need a little bit of a perspective adjustment of like, no, 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 it's not about like what your husband can do for you and how he can serve you and you dictating, you know, in a, not in a very respectful manner, but really like you need to be thinking about how, you know, how you can serve him. And yes, does he need to be thinking how to serve you? Of course, you know, of course. But um, yeah, just really, I don't know making your, um, characterizing your marriage by service and joyful service to each other. Right. Can make for a really joyful marriage. Yeah. And I think, so 
I think we talked about this a little bit in another episode. And I don't remember the the name of the episode. Um, maybe we can link you after after the fact. But um, <clears throat> we had talked about how important it is when you're serving. Um, you know, you can you can think you're benefiting the person uh, through your service, but your motive ultimately is not to put their eyes on Christ, but to put their eyes on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think this is another one of those situations where when you're serving your husband, you want to make sure that the service that you're doing for him is pointing him to Christ. Cause again, who's the source of joy? Like, is it the gift? No, absolutely not the gift. Is it even the, even the affection in your marriage that should be their source, source of joy? Um, or rejoicing in that. No, and that's good to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, like you want them to feel loved. You want to be affectionate. Um, and you want them to feel like they're worth it to you, of course. Um, but ultimately, you want them to be, to, you want their happiness to be rooted in and then like joyful, transcendent thing um, in the Lord. And so when we're serving our husband, it's really important that we're directing our husband to Christ. Um, and that they're seeing the the service and seeing that as a good gift from the hand of God. Um, one thing I thought of is it's just, it's really what kind of security we could give our husband in showing them that our love for them and our care for them outwardly is in obedience to Christ and not based on their worthiness mm. uh, or they're earning it. Because feeling worth it and feeling like you're earning it when you're having a really good day is is cool until you're having a bad day <laughs> yeah, or you're having a bad season, you're having a bad yeah. year or you're having a bad, you know, like decade. Whatever. Yeah. And then it gets really like, it's just this really unhealthy dynamic mm-hmm. where everything is kind of tinged with doubt and low self-esteem mm-hmm. and guilt and all of these things. Mm-hmm. When, um, if your husband knows that all of your service is coming to him from a love for Christ that is something that's not going to change. He can't earn it. He can't lose it. Um, and that that was kind of something that came up when I became a Calvinist is I was like, okay, I can't, I can't earn it. And that makes me feel like, well, I'm not, I'm not really as special <laughs> as I thought I was, right? Because right. God, God isn't electing me because of some good in me, or, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know just more enlightened than my neighbor because mm-hmm. I chose to turn when I heard the gospel and they didn't or whatever. But on the other hand, you know, I can't lose it because it's not based on me. And right. it's, it's kind of that same thing. Um, so even in your service, being sure that your husband knows, you know, that it's out of a, a love for the Lord um, is important and will kind of give them that extra level of security and comfort and Sure. Yeah. And it's just part of that, like winning him over in quiet submission, right? Like that can be a part of your quiet submission is how you respond and how you serve, you know, how you serve him and that he notices, well, what, why, what, what is this about? Like your attitude has changed. You actually happy to make dinner and you're happy to see me. Like what, (laughs) you know, what, what is this all about? Like Mm -hmm. don't underestimate your own, you know, your obedience to the Lord. Not that that in and of itself is what is, you know, driving, you know, possibly his change of heart. Of course, that is just the work of the Holy Spirit. But um, God definitely uses means, of course, to uh, work, you know, to work and minister mm-hmm. to people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another way I think that we should be pursuing joy in our marriage is 
praying with our husbands and praying mm-hmm. for our husbands consistently. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just something that really changes when you're pursuing that consistently. Um, it's an acknowledgement, a practical, like tangible acknowledgement that the Lord is in control of the work that's happening in your husband, mm-hmm. the choices that your husband are making, all the all the things that are coming your way as a family, and not detaching your relationship with your husband from the Lord as some right. separate thing. Um, and I've noticed that in my own marriage. So that is something that may not necessarily bring joy to your husband immediately, but um, <laughs> it depends. There's a there's like a there's a gentle way to pray with. Your husband, sure. and there's also a very like it's not like pushy, how, domineering, like you will lead this family right. type way. It's not so, like how my kids are tempted to pray for one another in our prayer time. <laughs> like, don't recommend yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, dear Jesus, I pray for Cade that he will not be annoying today, and or you know whatever it is. Yeah, don't pray yeah. for your husband like that. <clears throat> um, but you know, we have the Psalms. We have the Psalms to help us know how to pray and how to act and how to, um, you know, intercede. And it is not with um, pointing fingers, but um, with Thanksgiving. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, uh, So you brought up something that was really good or have in our notes is not holding grudges. Yeah. You need to forgive your husband. Yeah. Yeah. That is like the death of all joy in your marriage is if you keep record of wrongs. Right. If you're just constantly bringing up things, what joy can spring from that when you're constantly throwing dirt? Right. There is nothing. It just muddies the water between you two. Right. So don't do it. Don't do it. Right. You're to forgive as Jesus forgave us. And what what position do you take when your husband has repented to you yeah. and repented to the Lord and the Lord forgave them yeah. and then you come back like yeah. the accuser himself right. yes. and bring it up and accuse your husband later? And I say this and I'm like, convicted. <laughs> because it's so easy to store yeah. up this list of all the ways you've been wronged, especially yeah. because sometimes, like, sometimes the... Injury that we receive from the hurt doesn't immediately dissipate when we re- right. when we receive the apology right. or when we see repentance. Right. It doesn't take away the injury, right. the pain, or the consequences. The, the consequences. Yeah. So it's easy to hold on to things, especially as women. You know, as more emotionally driven, uh-huh. and um, we have really good memories when it comes to stuff like that. Too. Right. So I'm not saying this like you know, but. Just realizing like that this is gospel centered and because, and this is why it's so good to frame joy in the right context is that like we want to forgive our husband because we want to keep the gospel at the center of our marriage. And the opposite of that is, you know, literally taking the position of the devil in your marriage, which is like bone chilling. Yeah. Yeah. Your husband is supposed to be enjoying the freedom of being forgiven by the Lord mm-hmm. and not having to to walk through, you know, hearing that accusation yeah, of condemnation. Sin. Yeah. And who are we yeah. to bring that back into our marriage? Like mm-hmm. what poison? Yeah. So that was just one that really kind of shook me in the walking through of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So no, I think that's a really good good thing to yeah, to bring up. <clears throat> 
Yeah. And then, yeah, just to go right into that is just making sure that you repent of your sin quickly, which is, oh man, it is really hard for me. My husband, nine, probably 10 times out of 10, nine times out of 10, is so quick to like repent and just like, I'm sorry. And, you know, we know we all do it. Like, well, I'm not going to really do anything because he's the leader, so... He should repent first, and then, <laughs> then if he does, then I'll do it okay. But no, bad Kristen, bad. Yeah. Bad. So yes, when you have sinned, when you have lost your temper, when you have raised your voice, when you have acted out in anger, when you have taken on the accuser position instead of the forgiver position, and you need to ask for forgiveness, you need to repent. Right. And don't do it anymore. Even if your husband is still in sin and hasn't repented, if you've if you've had any part in sinning against him, the Lord says in his word, blessed are the peacemakers. That is yeah. our position yeah. as his children is to be peacemakers. And if there's conflict and there's a break in the fellowship between you and your husband, mm-hmm. that is, you know, I've noticed that if if my husband and I are arguing you know, and one of us is willing to take that first step, even if we're in the right, mm-hmm. by and large, and say, listen, regardless, I shouldn't have responded that way. That was sure. sinful. You know, I'm sorry I spoke to you like that. I should have X, Y, Z. That opens the door for the conversation. And yeah. saying, well, I shouldn't have to. Right. Is not good. Is It feels good in the moment, but what are you doing for yourself? Yeah. yeah it, there's freedom and forgiveness. And I think Doug Wilson says a lot about this. Dun, 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 listen. Says a lot of good things about this in his books on marriage. Yeah. And Nancy Wilson too. Mm-hmm. Keeping short accounts. Yeah. If you, they even say that they've gone like to a party and if they have a tiff in the car, they will not go in. If somebody's at their door knocking, they will not answer. They will like, yeah. Make sure they're in fellowship. And yeah. your brothers and sisters in Christ, um, you know, hopefully, if not, that's okay. But like, you yeah. should, you know, hopefully as the ideal. And you need to be in fellowship and pursue that always. Mm-hmm. Don't allow there to be a break in fellowship that isn't handled. <clears throat> I think there's one more. What did we say? Oh, yeah. Well, that's just kind of basic. Yeah. Be pointing your husband to Christ in all things. Praise the Lord for your wins. Praise the Lord for the hard things. Be ready to speak biblical truth to him and encourage him in the word. Just be a sister in Christ to him. Mm-hmm. And be orienting your relationship with him um, around Christ in, in everything. Because Christ is our source of joy and all of these truths. You just need to be um, that person in his ear that's encouraging him in the right direction. And not not even like... All the things we talked about in our last episode about how easy it would be to strive for obedience but do it in the wrong way or strive to serve others and do it in the wrong way. Make sure your husband is on the right track too. When you see him getting off that path, it's not helpful to let it go. You know, you don't have to nag him, but you could say, and look what God did, point him back to Christ. Right. And I'm so glad that the Lord pointed him back to Christ. And right. we should pray, point him back to Christ. Right. That's where joy is, so... Right. Yeah, you can really be like that um, kind of bumper in mm-hmm. your conversations with him as his counselor, as his confidant, in making sure everything is directed in the right in the right way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> let's get into parenting. 
parenting. Ooh. There's so much joy in parenting. So I'm going to steal some things um, from, uh, let's see, Rachel Jankovic, I think is one of the ones. And I'm sure Becca Merkel, too. Um, so these are the women that I have read many of their books and, and really helped, um, tune my heart to the joy of parenting. So highly recommend, um, Rachel's book, Loving the Little Years. I have read it after, <clears throat> I think I finally got a hold of it after my second kiddo and then read it every time after and I have four kids. Um, because the little years are where God loves to sanctify me. I do really well with big kids, and I do really well even with sleep deprivation and newborns. But (laughs) once my children turn two, that is where Kristen really struggles. Um, So it's really difficult for me. And I was turning into a mom that just robbed my whole household of joy instead of bringing joy into my household. And yeah, just really, <laughs> yeah, just not being, not glorifying God in, in everything that I was doing. And even in my parenting, I was just struggle busting it. So one of the things that I really love what I think it was Rachel said in in one of her um, podcasts <clears throat> recently and I'm sure she one of them re- wrote it somewhere because I know it's not the first time I heard it but um, is that when God created the world in the beginning um, he created a garden and he only had one thing in his garden his perfect house that he set up for his children, Adam and Eve. And so he just had one rule for them, and that was, you know, don't touch this tree, don't eat of its fruit, right? <clears throat> I guess that's two rules, but you get my drift. He, his whole house, his, the world he created for his children then, for his creation, was meant to be delighted in and to enjoy it in, uh, to enjoy mm-hmm. and everything. And so we as his imitators and the reflectors of his, of his image should create our households, our many households like that. Mm-hmm. And this is where I fell into the pitfall is because I like rules. Actually, like, <laughs> I like boundaries and I like to know, which is, is good. We need good rules. We need just rules and we need holy rules. But we don't have rules for, just for rules sake, right? We need to institute rules because they are um, biblical and God, you know, Bible-based and that um, we are, um, we create um, boundaries to protect something, right? So God created the boundary of don't eat of this tree to protect Adam and Eve and and their innocence, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so when we create rules in our house, see, I was creating rules for my selfish ambition and conceit and my convenience. And that was just really exhausting to keep up on. Um, 
and was really <laughs> robbing my kids of a lot of joy and just making my house just this big house of no's is what I call it. I was just making a house of no. No, you can't touch that. No, you can't play with that. No, you can't do this. No, you can't do that. No, you can't. Just mm-hmm. because like either I was too tired to deal with it or I just, you know, I was honestly just too, t- too tired to deal with it. And so it just became like such a, ugh, a heavy, a heavy place to live in mm-hmm. and enforce like that's not fun it wasn't fun for them it wasn't fun for me so um I look to these women and their books and um you know the things <clears throat> that they had to say about parenting and really really had to do a whole do-over of like why did I create this rule or why did I even say no to that um you know when my kiddo wants to play a game or get Play-Doh out or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, why am I saying no? Or why do I have an, you know, uh, whatever. Is it for my own convenience? Or, you know, is is there something that I'm protecting, something sacred that God has told me to protect? Well, a lot of my rules was for my own convenience and because I didn't want to clean up or I didn't want to mess. Or, well, I'm not protecting anything godly there. I'm not. Right. So, just being very careful about the rules that you set up in your house, that they are godly and they are biblical and um, that it isn't just out of your um, own selfish, you know, your own selfishness, your own conceit, but they actually are there to like protect something biblical that God has called you as a parent to protect. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's rightly orienting your authority over your children so that they know that you are not, you know, um, am I trying to think a dictator right. and a tyrant yeah. over them? Yeah, exactly. Um, and that would be the case if you were acting on your own authority. Sure. If they said the buck stops with mom and she's subjectively deciding this is right, this is wrong based on her preferences, mm-hmm. they're going to grow up and say, okay, well, I disagree. And my, my, you know, relativistic idea of right and wrong mm-hmm. is different. So I'm going to go charging off. Um, it also puts you in the position of like it's your will versus theirs, like right. you know, yeah. battle of the wills. Right. You don't have to even ever be in that position. If anything, you're an ambassador, and you're, um, yeah, you know, the go between in regards to presenting the law of God and doing mm-hmm. it in a way also that's joyful. Right. Like when we when we tell them, like Kristen said, like the law is for our good. It's the same like what what we talked about in our last episode about obedience. Like we can have a wrong view of the law where we can say, you know, well, the law is oppressive. It's keeping us from joy because it's keeping us from pleasure. And, you know, God knows that this is fun and he doesn't want us to do it or that sort of thing. That is not it at all. So when we are first and foremost, displaying to our children that the same law that's over them is over us, mm-hmm. that there is an objective standard and that we know how to get to it, um, showing them that it's from the word of God in itself, that we're also presenting it as God. Christ is not a cruel taskmaster. He's a gracious right. and loving Lord. Mm-hmm. And we are privileged to be under his rule as compared to under the rule of sin mm-hmm. or under the rule of whatever other subjective standard people have out there. So um, definitely important to not abuse our authority mm-hmm. and to show them the freedom in lo- in the law. 
yeah, that's there. Yeah. You know, freedom from sin is a blessing to us, and um, and also showing them like your sin is hurting you. Mm-hmm. It's hurting other people. It's robbing you of joy. Mm-hmm. I know this seems to be good for you, but you have to trust me that what God has for you is better. So um, that's a really good way to direct them through, you know, the rules, the do's and don'ts to uh, the source of joy in in our God. Yeah. And yeah, just making sure. I mean, we have warnings as parents. I mean, particularly fathers, um, as that might be a particular struggle for fathers, but it definitely can extend to, you know, mothers who are parenting with a, a heavy hand too, is do not exasperate your children. And that's definitely like the point to where I brought my my older two in was just exasperation. They just, you know, really mm-hmm. couldn't do, they just didn't have a lot of freedom. So um, repented of that and developed a game plan, not just you know, and just making sure that you have a game plan set in place, that you're educating yourself, you know. I mean, it really is, I, you know, my parenting is a product of how I was parented, and I didn't really know any different, um, not that that is an excuse, and I recognize that as a wrong way of thinking and did something about it. So just to encourage you, that just because, you know, you might be a product of your parenting and, you know, you God gave you his word. He gave you um, community. He gave you church. He gave you fellowship. So he gave, gave us older women to glean from. And so, um, you know, older ladies, if you see a mama who might be struggling, you know, it's okay in your duty to come alongside that struggling mama and say, hey, you know, I, you just seem like you're really, can I take you out to coffee? Like, you know, can I, can I help you? I remember those days. Those days were difficult. Here were some of the things that I did, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, um, if you are, you know, just, just as an encouragement, you know, going back to our Titus two, um, you know, um, admonishment as older women, Mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of taking on the younger women and helping them to love their children in a rightly ordered way. Right. Um, Um, One thing that I thought is important to remind us all of as much as it might. Okay. We got our producer coming in. with. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, One thing that, I think is really important to focus on, even though it kind of ties into what we said in our first episode, is making sure your own life is rightly ordered and not underestimating the value of them seeing that in your daily walk with them. You are going to have so many opportunities to lose your cool, Mm. so many opportunities to respond to them in fear, in desperation, in annoyance, in anger, um, to show them that you're anxious and faithless and you know, not battling your sin. Right. There's so many ways to give in here that will, you could tell them every right thing, every right thing for the entire course of your parenting journey with them. And you can act opposite to that. And, you know, obviously we're going to lose in our battle with sin, but the Lord has also promised to sanctify us and to give us victory over sin. Mm -hmm. So be careful not to give yourself leeway where you shouldn't. Mm -hmm. Um, if you 
kind of jump into this with, well, the Lord loves me as I am, and he knows I mess up, and, um, you know, he's who's is, perfect. But who's perfect anyways? Right. I'm going through a really hard season, you know, um, just saying, you know, I'm not going to run the race today because I'm tired. So I'll run the race tomorrow, or I'll run the race when they're out of this hard toddler phase. They're, mm-hmm. they're not going to remember, right. you know, I just can't. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. Um, your children see that. They see that, and you are the first and immediate example to them of what a Christian life looks like when it's mm-hmm. lived out. And that doesn't mean that you have to be perfect, right. but do they see that you're fighting your sin? Yeah. Do they see that you're praying when you need it, when you need the Lord? Mm-hmm. Um, do they see that you're going to the Word for strength? Do they see, do they see progress in your life in regards to growing in grace and being sanctified? Mm-hmm. Do, are you going to them to repent of your sin? Do they see that your sin grieves you? All of these things, we can't underestimate that um, because they, they need that example, even if it's flawed. And all it requires of you to give them that example is to try. Right. That's it. But if you, if you go the route that is popular in Christianity today of, mm-hmm. you know— I'm a beautiful mess. <laughs> that's cute. That's, yeah, cute. that's cute. You know, that's cute on Instagram. Yeah. On your like, you know, tell all Facebook posts. And it's really cute when you have no kids. Yeah. And you're just like your own beautiful mess by yourself mm-hmm. when you're when you're young and single. I don't know. But it's just, it's not. Don't don't let yourself settle yeah. for that. Because but you're not a see. mess. You know, that's the thing is you know, you're giving yourself a different identity than what God has called you to be. Mm -hmm. And so you don't get to have that authority over your life um, to be like, well, I'm a mess. No, you are a new creation, actually. Amen. And you're called to walk in this way. So (laughs) do my little like spoken word snap over here. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's good. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. Um, I say we all said this. I'm like, yeah, this is real good. What we're saying, right now. <laughs> yeah, this is so good, man. <laughs> just yeah, man. It's just that, <laughs> yeah. They need that example, and they need to see that you are orienting yourself to Christ in the right, right. way, and that you're fighting your sin because yeah. they, yeah, they need to go that route. That's right. joy for them. Right. The life that we're explaining, that we're like, um, you know, explaining. Yeah, the life we're explaining now. Uh, that we're saying that you should pursue is the life that you want your children to pursue. And if they don't see you pursuing it, they're not going to. Right. They're going to think it's a sham. Right. Yeah. If it's, I mean, we, we have a whole generation, several generations that are just, I mean, that have lived in a family culture where rules were set, but never followed by anybody. It's just legalism. It's just rules that are there to rob us of joy. There's no repentance. There's no like sanctification. There's no actually trying. There's just all these rules, some of them based on the Bible, some of them based on scripture, um, but like no follow through. Like, you know, there's parents who are laying down the law for, um, you know, their kids to behave in a certain way, but they themselves are not um, ordering, rightly ordering their walk in their lives according to scripture. And, um, you know, so we have a whole, you know, generation now, our generation and younger, 
who have just kind of given up on church or have created a new church because, you know, what what has their parents' church produced? Mm-hmm. And so it's really important to not just follow rules and be like, well, I'm following rules and I'm creating joy by because I'm doing it, you know, whatever. But that, yeah, you have to <laughs> have those rules um, ordered in, in Scripture and based in Scripture, and then you yourself have to obey and submit to them as well. Uh, not, not to be a drudgery, but to delight in God's law and to because he has set up um, things to protect us mm-hmm. and to bring us joy. And we need to show our, our children that. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, mommy cannot lose her patience and I have to obey, you know, all the scriptures that called me to be patient because when I don't, I sin against you and that doesn't bring you joy and that doesn't bring me joy. You know, it might feel good at the moment. It might even feel justified. Like, well, you shouldn't have done that. Well, they shouldn't have done that. Well, you still shouldn't have yelled at them. You still shouldn't have disciplined them in anger. Right. You know, so it just, Yeah. Yeah. We're just called to such a higher standard. And yeah. Be praying, be praying with your children. Yeah. Be praying by yourself with the Lord. Be reading your, your Bible. Be reading your Bible with your kids. I can tell you, just looking at my week this week, we had a really good week being consistent in the Word together. So I've been doing the Bible reading challenge with my kids, and I read my reading for the day either when they're napping, if we have something going on at night, or I do it in the evening when they go to bed and they've been staying up through it and it's really wonderful. And also praying with them, taking time to pray by myself. The last two days though, I've had big things on my plate and I've had a lot to do around the house to get ready for things Uh and I've slipped on it. And the night and day difference between the tone of our home and the way that I respond, I've been such a jerk. Yeah. The last, and I've been so self-pitying and like, I deserve this. Like, uh-huh. so different. Yeah. So different. Those yeah. spiritual disciplines <clears throat> in your in your family make such a difference. Yeah. Like, don't do what I'm doing right now. I'm like, <laughs> you know. And it's, yeah, it's just, and the enemy knows too. The enemy yeah. knows when you're on, when you're on it and when you're fighting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we see it all through scripture, Psalms, Proverbs, you name it, that disobedience in going your own path always leads to destruction and disharmony and disunity. Always. There's never like, there, there is never like, and the man goes off on his own way and he lives happily ever after the end. No, it's like, and he gets swallowed up by a gang of thieves and like, you know, whatever, Mm -hmm. or he falls into the pit or he goes into darkness or, you know, it's never good. Yeah. It's never good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Okay. Do we want to move on to church? Um, I have a few more that I think I want to, that I think are important. Ooh, yeah. I see. Yes. So, um, one thing, one thing that I think is really important is just like talking often of God's character and nature and goodness. Mm-hmm. So, and and I think this requires that we be meditating on it enough in our own selves and rejoicing over it enough that that just overflows. Like I'm not necessarily saying, not that this is bad, but I'm not encouraging you to just like draw up a lesson plan going through the attributes of God. Like let it be a part of your living, breathing every day. 
Like talk about God's goodness. Talk about like God's goodness in forgiving us when your children are in sin and you discipline them and you have in not have to when you give them the gospel and tell them like listen the lord forgives you jesus died for you we're presbyterian i'm not taking that back not <laughs> not taking it back <laughs> but you know when you're talking about look at these groceries look at the way that god's providing mm-hmm. for us how wonderful is that isn't that strawberry delicious isn't it cool that the lord made that mm-hmm. he you know and he knew that you would love this yeah. and he knew that you would love this right now on this very day isn't it wonderful that the lord has kept us safe and our bodies are healthy isn't it wonderful that even though we're sick right now we've been we've been sick for like a while yeah. even though we're sick right now we're not as sick as we were yesterday or we're not as sick as we could be and by and large we know that we're going to get better because yeah, I was we live say, in america and we have an like western to it medicine. and we're not like in yeah. front that's what i was thinking about this week as i don't know maybe some of you can tell i i am still getting over the cold and i'm coughing and all that stuff no covid but um but yeah i just keep thinking oh thank <clears throat> the lord that it's not some chronic disease that i am battling that i don't I like this is not my normal that there is an end to it god willing and you know that I don't have to live you know in a constant state of illness for the rest of my life as you know god has ordained for some other people like mm-hmm. oh my gosh yeah i think that ugh. Yeah, I was on the struggle bus on Monday. Yeah, you were. Oh, yeah. yeah. So were my kids. Kristen was and my children were also. Yeah. Cat, why oh. Why are you the way you are? Fatty, fatty, fat, fat. He just knocked over my coffee, so I had to give him a tongue lashing. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just important to be um, just, I mean, dream over and treasure his promises together. Talk mm-hmm. to them about it when they're having hard times. Like, be directing them. They're, t- they're learning all these things through you. So a lot of these things are things you should be doing as an individual that right. are just really going to trickle over into, like, modeling that for your children because that's where their joy is going to be found in doing all of these things. Um, believe God's promises about your children and believe that the Holy Spirit is ultimately responsible for their conversion. Because I think that the guilt and the fear and the desperation that we get sucked up into, and I'm speaking to myself here, um, really is is rooted in a belief that our methods are the things that are going to save our children, Mm -hmm. that our sin is the thing that's going to keep them from being saved. And I'm not discounting the fact that the Lord does honor our faithfulness and our obedience. He gives us a way to teach our children and train our children. And he he gives us promises with that too. Like there's something in the fact that you are, you are responsible before the Lord to parent your children and to speak to your children in a specific way, according to his word. Mm-hmm. But are you, is their election dependent on that? No. Is Jesus going to lose anyone that he has, you know, he's died for because of you? You don't have that kind of power. And there's freedom in that. And your children will see if you are coming to them heavy-handedly in desperation and fear that you have to, like, discipline the sin out of them <laughs> you can't yes. do it it's you so can't true. i need that yeah. right now tonight <laughs> to be reminded of that Kristen, as, i have a word for you my no. kids are getting no this is like a something that my husband has to constantly remind me because you know i take my job as a parent really seriously and i forget that my children are sinners and that they are going to sin and they're going to have their own struggles and their own sanctification process to go through yeah and so when you know one of my kids, 
you know, if they have a particular sin that they have been working on for a while and they slip up and they fall and stumble, I just think it is the end of the world. Like, what is going on with them? We need to pray. Like, I need to, where's the oil? Where are the oil? Where are the snakes? Like, I'm just going to go all big tent yeah. revival charismatic on them because I'm just like, oh my gosh. And, you know, thankfully I have a husband who is so level-headed in those situations where, uh, yeah, he reminds me like the Lord has them. They're in the best hands that, you know, he does not lose any one of them. Right. Like it is not up to you. You, Kristen, are not God. You can't decide their eternal, you know, life. Like that's not, that's not you. Nothing you do can make them a Christian and nothing you do can make them not a Christian. That is completely a work of God and the Holy Spirit. Whew. Right. Okay. All right. I'm going to yeah. take it down a few notches. The law does not have the power to save them. Right. And I think it's really easy in parenting to slip into feeling like the law is going to save them. If I just mm-hmm. tell them, right. if I just have the consequence and it's there and I'm consistent, right. they're going to stop sinning. Right. None of us have stopped sinning. <laughs> right. None of us. We do the same things our kids do. And we have the perfect do. father. All the things. Yeah. We do all the things our kids do. We just do it in our own way. Right. When they respond in anger, we respond in anger. Mm-hmm. Like, none of us have nixed that. Like, when they are rash, when they do not hold their tongue, when they should, when they um, are violent in one way or another, mm-hmm. you know, we have our own little ways of doing that. And so it never leaves them. And if we focus on just like disciplining the sin out of them, we're missing the point. We're, we are here to teach them to fight their sin. Mm-hmm. And to fight, and and we are to teach them like, yes, God is going to give you victory over this gradually over time. But like, we're not here to perfect them by our methods. We're here to point them to Christ mm-hmm. by their failures. We're here to point them to Christ in their victories. We're here to point them to reliance on the Holy Spirit, to the weapons of our warfare, which are scripture reading, prayer. Right. You know, yeah, obviously practical things yeah. like yeah, walk away, yeah, take a breath. Those are practical things they can do, but is walking away and taking a breath and practicing a line in their head going to nix their anger? No, not at all. That's not what God gives us. Mm-hmm. No. You don't just hold your tongue. The Lord said, okay, bye. <laughs> no, it's not going to work. Yeah. Pray to the Lord. Repent. Believe, believe Jesus. Jesus is coming to take this from you once and for all at the mm-hmm. resurrection. Yeah. Praise the Lord. And I'm, dang it, I wish I remembered this. I'm like, Preaching to myself right now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then what's the other thing I was going to say? Um, yeah. I think we already kind of speak spoke about this. Like, don't just lay down and give in to your sin. Mm-hmm. You need to be running the race. Um, a clean conscience produces joy. It's okay to try and mess up and repent and be forgiven. It's not okay to excuse sin or hide sin or ignore sin or run from God. You want to be parenting in relationship with the Lord. And that means like mom guilt is a real thing. And there's a point in which it's not warranted. Like we need to just chill on the mom guilt. Mm -hmm. And there's a point in which it's supposed to be directing you to Christ. Mm -hmm. So don't go the route of wallowing in it. And don't go the route of entirely disregarding it. Let it point you to Christ and be repenting and be confessing your sin and then be getting up and fighting again the next day. That's the best thing you can do for your kids. So um, with that said, you want to jump into the church? Yes, so church. So we talked about God's people needing to be marked um, by joy. Like we are not to be marked by weeping. We are not to be marked by sorrow because we have this like law that in um, Nehemiah, 
8, as I read in the first um, episode, so go back and listen to that. Like when um, Nehemiah brought God's law to, um, was it Ezra or Nehemiah? Somebody. It was either Ezra, I think it was Nehemiah. Anyway, when, or maybe it was both of them. But regardless, when I God's law. I wish there law, was more help right now. I, I was know. like, wait, what? Wait, what? When God's law was brought to Israel um, and they realized like how short they were in um, fulfilling their obligations to God's law, they weeped and they cried. And um, the priests were like, you should not weep and cry. Actually, you should be filled with joy. Go out and eat and drink and feast and all this stuff because you now know what to do to delight, you know, to to delight the Lord mm-hmm. and be joyful in that. So uh, anyway, so just bear that in mind as we are a people marked with joy. Mm-hmm. And um, so Ezra 6, 16, I'll read you the scripture verse here. Uh, and the children of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the children of the captivity kept the dedication of this house of God with joy. Okay. Um, we read in Philippians 1.27 that also just um, being in unity with one another is another mark of, um, <laughs> of joy that we can have and not contentiousness. Uh, let me just read Philippians. Philippians 1.27. Okay, uh, here it is. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit and with one mind side by side for the faith uh, of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction. Um, yeah, so just us being unified in one mind, in one spirit, and in one faith is um, a mark of um, joyous people because there's no contention, there's no strife, there's nothing um, that can cause, uh, yeah, any kind of misery Mm -hmm. when you are aiming to be unified in those things. Um, Let's see. Oh, also I wanted to mention that, um, yeah, that's how unity and peace can be rightly ordered, right? we need to be um, unified in the gospel, um, especially in the church today in our present culture is very popular to be unified in um, certain theories in, um, you know, uh, our sexuality in all these other things that the world has said, oh, we should be all unified in. This is actually what love is. This is actually what peace is. This is actually what unity is, Mm -hmm. is when we all just accept one another for just as God made them and all this other stuff. But that is not what scripture says. It doesn't say to turn a blind eye to sin and not call one another out, but we are to be unified in the gospel. And the gospel is you're a big fat sinner and you need Jesus and you need to <laughs> repent. And <laughs> you need to make a gospel tract. It's just like you're a big fat sinner. You're a big fat you need sinner. Jesus. And you need, you need Jesus, to repent. And you need to repent. Trinitas Presbyterian Church. 
Yeah. And so we are called to be unified in something. Um, we, are to be call, we are called to be unified in the gospel. And so culture loves to redefine God's law and principles or to borrow them and warp them. But a marked people of joy is their unity. Oh, sorry, I misread that. But a people marked with joy is in their unity, and they have one truth that they are to be unified in, and that's the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another thing that's just an, an overflow that we see in, um, in Scripture when the Israelites are obeying in God's law is there's a lot of hospitality, there's a lot of feasting, and... Um, you know, there's a lot of celebration in all the good things that God has done um, for his people. And so that's something that we should aim uh, to mimic as well, is to feast often, to be with one another often, to fellowship often, you know, not just on Sunday, but uh, create a lot of opportunities where your home is open, is an open place of feasting and celebration and um yeah, because really what this whole life, what we're all a reflection of is all eternity. And all eternity is we are going to be feasting with the Lord. We're going to be feasting with one another. We're going to be singing praises. We're going to be hearing songs. You know, with the angels, it's going to be a lovely, glorious, harmonious place. And we need to try to replicate that, right? Do everything we can to replicate those kinds of things um, with each other, with fellow believers. Mm-hmm. Do do do. Do you have anything else? No, I love that. Um, I mean, yeah, keeping Christ center in everything that we do and pursuing unity—that's what He's called us to. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to acknowledge that we are—we are His body, which is. I mean, there are a lot of different ways to view that, but there's this physical, tangible body of people right. that are doing things right which is a trip if you think about it right in all in all of the new testament also how we are encouraged to be serving one another and doing good deeds first and foremost to the household of faith mm-hmm. all of these practical ways and if you think about it like every good and perfect gift is from above from the lord and so every time you can think about like just to the extreme like Every time you receive a hug from someone that you want, Kristen and I are not big huggers, but let's just say it's the right moment, the mood is right, the lighting is good, I'm just <laughs> but you receive a hug from someone, like God ordained that for yeah. you, and whatever benefit you get from that is a gift from God. Mm-hmm. It's not just from that person. Uh, you know, you could even say, like, the pillow that you lay your head on. Like, God is giving you that gift. And if you think about your life in those terms, it's pretty fantastic. Like, you can really just savor the goodness of God and, like, his love for you in all the things. So when you think about that in every time someone speaks an encouraging word to you, every time that you receive a hug from someone at church when you need it, or um, someone encourages you in the word, or someone brings you a meal— or someone takes your kids when you need it, or or comes over to help you pack or clean your house, or all of these little things that we do for each other. That is tangibly like the Lord loving you mm-hmm. practically. And this, it's like there's something about the church that I feel like we know beyond what scripture says 
it is Christ. Like it's identified with Christ to the point where if people feel failed by the church in practical ways, like I had a need and nobody came to meet me. Yeah. And I expressed a need and I was rejected. That's a deep wound for people. Yeah. And it's a lot of people will say, I was hurt by the church and I didn't come back. And that's a stupid reason not to go back to church. But I also understand what it, what it's like to feel that wound. Mm-hmm. Um, that happened when I was when I was younger. And it really did have an impact on, like you f- almost feel like this rejection from Christ because it's his community. Right. You know, it's so intimately identified with Christ. And so on the flip side, there's something really powerful that goes on in the church when we're serving one another. And I'm so blessed right now to see what that looks like at Trinitas. And I've never seen, like, I am sure there are so many wonderful church communities out there that are like Trinitas. Mm-hmm. But for me, and, I, and I've also, the church I was in before was a wonderful church. It's just... Somehow God has ordained that I'm in this church right now seeing what I'm seeing and like seeing the way that people in our church serve one another practically is just mind-blowing to me sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like the feeling that you get when you're in like a, like at like we have a small group at our church that's not very small and it meets every week and it's just this sweet fellowship every week without fail, tons of food, shoes piled up at the door like so everywhere like so many pairs of shoes I just took a picture of just all the pairs of shoes at the front door psalm singing laughing sharing life with one another like knowing what's going on in each other's lives there's just something so like so different about that I've been at parties like as an unbeliever like parties with way more people Uh uh-huh Centered around something entirely and loud music and laughter and all of these things. And it's not the same. It's It's not not the same. It's totally different. And it's because it's connected to Christ. And there's this feeling that you get when you're in that environment that's just overwhelming. And you're like, this is crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's because it's connected to Christ. There's something like really deep that goes on here. And, you know, um, what we were talking about feasting and like, like we are going to be with these people forever. Like, Mm -hmm. do you ever look at people in our church and think like, I'm going to know this person a billion years from now. Like that's crazy. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. It's just nuts. So yeah, that was the one thing that I wrote down. Like you had so many good notes here, but just the church is one of the primary ways that Christ cares for his people and we need one another. Yeah. The Christian life is not meant to be lived in isolation and we are the hands and feet of Jesus to one another. Um, just how, you know, I don't know if you um, ever felt this way, but I remember as a new believer, I was like so overwhelmed with love for the Lord and and also was in that weird space that I was talking about. I think, was it in this episode or the last one? I think it was the last episode we were talking about the charismatic movement and how you're kind of taught to chase this experience. And I remember like saying in like a small group, like, I wish I could hug the Lord. Like, I wish I could feel what that felt like. It it, like, it Mm -hmm. makes me so sad that like, I'm so far from him. Like he's, you know, I know he's here, but like, he's not tangibly here, but there's something about like the people of God that makes that more of a reality on this side of glory in that like tangible, like really physical, physical way. And that's, Amazing. Um, Point his people to him in your service to them. 
And, um, you know, that's naturally going to happen, but make sure that they see that in your service, that it's Mm -hmm. not what you rob, you absolutely rob people of this type of feeling that I'm talking about when you point them to you. Right. For any of this. Yeah. There's something. What a letdown. Yeah. What a letdown. <laughs> there's just something like even beyond the family. There's just <clears throat> like there's something so incredible about the church. Like don't rob people by making your straight a whatever dish, you know, so that people think you're a good cook. Like don't mm-hmm. do it for that reason. Do it so they will rejoice in the Lord. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. Yeah. Um and then set this example and rally other people in your church to help and serve and build one another up. Like beyond just seeing this in our church, like I'm learning so much from the people around me and I'm, I'm seeing how, fall, how far I fall short, how far my own instincts fall short in regards to seeing a need and meeting it, how selfish I am and wanting to hold back and not give everything I can because it hurts to give sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and then just seeing like, it, it's just, it's sanctifying. Like, be the person that encourages other people by your own service and also be looking at other people and be stepping up your game. I think it's really easy for us to say, I'm that person that's been hurt by the church, and so I'm going to withdraw. Well, it takes that person to say, okay, I've been hurt by the church, and so I see a need, and I'm going to meet it mm-hmm. because clearly we're not good at this. Right. And I'm the person that's seeing it, and God's letting me see what that feels like. Mm-hmm. And I can use that for good, and I can say I don't want anybody else to feel this way. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be the person that changes that scenario. Or I can use it for bad, and I can be inward-focused and say, no, I didn't get what I deserved. Mm-hmm. Running for the hills, telling mm-hmm. everybody I'm just going to go meet the Lord in the mountains. Like, right. <laughs> Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah. That's, that's joy I don't know, for me in the church. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. So, are we going to take, are we going to, you get to take it out. That I introduced you. I know my job's over. So we we take it out. We good? Okay. All right. So guys, go love God. Go love your husbands. Go love your kids. Husbands? Husbands. Only one. Well, I'm addressing, you know what I mean. Just one husband. Just one husband. Okay. Go love God. Go love your husband. Go love your kids. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.